Hello and welcome back to the Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm Molly McEnany, the host of the Indie, and this week I'm here with Professor Kim Yasuda from UCSB, who is teaching a seminar based on the Arts and Lectures Justice for All series. The Justice for All series, begun in early 2020, is an initiative that targets contemporary divisions on race and social justice. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So the seminar, which you partnered with a bunch of other UCSB A&L faculty, is a part of UCSB's Discovery Seminars program, and it links the Justice for All events to work being done by UCSB faculty members. So tell me a bit about the pilot program and what a typical seminar is like. Yeah, so the seminar itself is actually a two-unit open seminar to any student across campus, which means that when you have students in STEM who barely have any time in their schedule to take a course in art or culture, this two-unit seminar could offer a way to expose and orient students across campus. And particularly, this seminar was targeted to freshmen because connecting the arts and lecture series with freshmen means that we're building a, a an audience who will attend arts and lectures events and in supplement to the seminar in which they discuss the content and the and the work of these these presenters right so this seminar was kind of like everything that's going on uh, in this moment in time was a kind of improvisation of the advisory board to actually craft a pilot so that we could see how this could actually be scaled up year round, campus wide, in conjunction with much of many of the programs that arts and lectures offers, right? So, you know, I got to hand it to Susanna Scott, who's the chair of faculty senate, and then, you know, our our deans of uh, social science and college of creative studies, Charles Hale and Gerardo Aldana, funded putting myself and a lecture from College of Creative Studies, Sarita Zaleha, to organize the class. Okay, so that's sort of the foreground of it. And so what we did, because we went into sudden remote, when we were expecting to have the students be in person that first month, we reached out to the campus to identify faculty who would be willing to come in with related research to the speakers that were postponed to later on in the quarter. This is all sounding very complicated, but what was so amazing is how many of the faculty stepped up and were willing to come in and be in dialogue with these students who are from all across campus. They're from STEM, social science, art, humanities, all in one class. Um, And so, you know, for example, in our first week, we were going to have Amanda Wynn, who is a sexual violence activist and policy advocate. We brought in Erin Kuni, who's an associate professor in Asian American studies, who spoke about her work and teaching on sexual violence culture and kind of the institutionalization of consent. And so now the students have that dialogue with her and they go into actually meeting with Amanda, who's coming later in the month. We've also had people like Christina Pato, a former performer and presenter with Arts and Lectures, a Galician bagpipe artist, and also is teaching a course with me right now. Ingrid Banks, the chair of uh, Black Studies, also uh, linked her book, Hair Matters, with the future presentation of Andrea Elliott uh, and her book she's presenting um, in March. And then actually tonight, we have our associate professor, Terrence Wooten, from Black Studies. 
And they'll be discussing their work in relationship to Andrea uh, Elliott. Terrence's work really addresses issues around race and homelessness and carcerality. So they will tonight be in dialogue with actually a, a surprise visit by Andrea Elliott, who's going to step into our class and be in dialogue with Terrence. And then beyond that, um, in particular with Kathy Park Hong and Amanda Wynn, we are inviting Samir Pandya from Asian American Studies to come in and speak with the students. And then later with actually Roxanne Gay, our faculty in English and Black Studies, uh, Stephanie Batiste will be talking with the students. So all of these partnerships between the faculty from across campus with the presenters and the students from across the disciplines is really creating that kind of rich ecology of knowledge sharing and exchange that I think we often don't get when we're siloed into our divisional and departmental conversations, right? And, and in many cases, particularly around issues, intersectional issues around justice and race and precarity, this is the kind of intergenerational intersectional dialogue we should be having. So this pilot is really hopefully going to be setting up the precedent for something that our academic faculty and our students could be in a sense in dialogue with these major presenters with arts and lectures. Yeah. So when you talk about intersectionality, why is teaching through an intersectional lens and creating these spaces for dialogue around intersectionality so important to creating a diverse curriculum on campus? Well, I think that we have an increasingly divided condition externally and an increasingly diverse student population that is not in alignment really with the demographic of our faculty. That is a big issue on our campus. And by setting up these forms in which we can have this kind of interchange across dialogues, I think really will be instrumental in shifting curricular and academic initiatives to actually be in keeping with a diverse 21st century global condition, right? And I just want to add that the other amazing thing for me as an organizer of this course is being in dialogue or being in a course, a class with another faculty from another department that I have never had the opportunity to meet or be in dialogue with, but I know their work has been the silver lining of all the extra work it's taken to organize this uh, the seminar series. So uh, Sarita and I have really gained a lot being in conversation also with our own colleagues on campus that I mentioned earlier. No, of course, especially when, well, that is intersectionality. It's the crossing of two different paths that never should have crossed in a typical education space, which is great. Now I want to ask more, a little bit about you, if you could give us your background and why you became so invested in this project? Well, I have probably for the past 20 years been deeply involved in engaging in public research through my public art practice, but tying all of my curricular courses in art around public practice. And in particular, I got very involved with the students in developing arts and culture in Isla Vista, the local student community. 
and built classes around that. I've been doing that since 2005. We renovated storefronts. We brought in cultural programming to Del Playa. We partnered with the Arts Commission and the California Arts Council to bring in lightworks to illuminate all the parks downtown and um, commission artists to do public uh, lightworks for a festival. We also did a lot of work post tragedy when we had that shooting in Isla Vista many years ago. And so with all of that background, local, hyper-local research and curricular initiatives, I've evolved to a more campus-wide way of how we can connect our local communities and regional communities and global communities to all the programming across the region, right? So, So we're in dialogue with the communities that we serve as an anchor institution. That's actually the original conception of UC was a land grant system that was there to serve the needs of the California publics. So that's a little bit about, you know, how I found myself here. I'm also currently uh, stepped in as uh, one of the Associate Vice Chancellors for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And this is really important for me to connect all the dots across campus between these various initiatives, well, it's, whether it's Arts and Lectures, Justice for All series, with the DEI office, with the arts and culture, I come from the Department of Art. Another initiative that I'm working on, that's the Arts Equity Commons, that's connecting our museum, our art history department, and our art department to work in consort with all of these major presenters and offices. So really, I feel like all of these exciting activities are going on all over campus that are in the support of diversity, equity, inclusion, and public uh, research, but they're not connected. They're not. And then our students, if they don't take the class in Black studies or Asian American studies, they don't get that rich engagement. And how do we start to build curriculum that does make it more available, not only to our students, but for them to be in dialogue with our other faculty and the audiences outside of the university, right? So from what you're saying, how UCSB delivers education affects first-gen students and people of color who oftentimes don't see themselves represented in their curriculum, whether that be humanities or even sciences too. From your seminar, what tools do you think UCSB faculty and students should use to re-examine the curriculum being taught and foster a meaningful dialogue across all departments that's permanent in the future or more permanent in the future? Yeah, I think, you know, because an institution is like this sort of machine that just keeps every quarter, you know, I mean, people get in a pattern, right? And, And really what the arts brings and artists tend to bring is the breaking of patterns by kind of presenting new ways of of coming into the same material or the same routines and kind of reimagining them, right? So for example, we're bringing in an artist in residence program through the Arts Equity Commons. And that artist is really there amid this, this sort of academic environment to sort of listen and present new ideas, right? Around how could we teach differently? How could we teach with, through an intersectional lens? How could we reimagine our classrooms to be creative spaces, right? So, so this is phase one, is faculty and students need models of possibility. And once they see it and they realize that they could repurpose their same curriculum in a similar 
way, then they can model it. And then they can go on to kind of reimagine and retool. And I think that's, that's really, it's a catalyst. The Discovery Seminar really was designed to, uh, in uh, Linda Adler-Kastner, I want to give her credit, was really there to be two units that are unrestricted seminars for students to take. They're not heavy homework courses. They're really enrichment. There's freshman Discovery Seminars. There's transfer seminars. You know, if somebody's coming as a transfer student with only two years, how do you get them over to the arts and culture side of campus if you don't have a way for them to be able to take a class, right? And and they only have two years. This is an overload for faculty. They do this in a voluntary basis and they have freshman transfer and honor seminar. And I've done all of them to actually expose the rest of campus to our arts department. And they've been hugely fulfilling and enriching for all of us, because I meet students from every sector of campus. They're really focusing on exchange and dialogue, which I also think is something that often in academic settings, it's really like a lecture and students are passively listening. In this case, they're actively in conversation with the artists, with presenters, with the faculty. That's that's really a different model of a kind of more what we call co-teaching and learning environment. The students are also teachers. They have a generational wisdom and knowledge that they bring to a faculty that's maybe 30 years uh, older than them, you know, and so on. And so um, it's a really intersectional, intergenerational environment in which to have a dialogue around a critical issue. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this has been wonderful. I can only think of all of the seminars that I took when I was even attending UCSB. And what's great about the seminar is that you get to sit back and you're not being graded. You're not, there's no pressure to write a paper or write something creative about it. It's really just about listening and talking and thinking. And I think that's one of the best ways to engage students in a a more open way. And so I'm really happy to have you on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to add about not only your seminar, but the Justice for All series? Well, I think Arts and Lectures has brought remarkable presenters, artists, writers, cultural workers. And to be able to partner and collaborate with one of the most visible and important entities on campus across our disciplines is, is, a, is really exciting. Because, you know, each department doesn't have the resources, particularly in the arts, to be making these connections you know, to these distinguished people that we would otherwise not have access to. So uh, in that sense, it's incredible. And um, I hope we can scale this Discovery Seminar Arts and Justice series year round and and with many different faculty leading it. Yeah. So excited to see what happens with these seminars, how they grow and all of the wonderful people that are coming up, you know, like we mentioned, Roxane Gay, who's kind of the feature for this month because her book Hunger, yes, there it is. You have it. Her book Hunger is the book of the month for the Santa Barbara Independence Book Talk. And we're happy to have her as a part of, you know, the seminar and A&L. And it was just wonderful speaking with you about all of this. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Well, thank you for the conversation. I, I look forward to more. So 
Well, the Justice for All lineup is full of top guest speakers, including Roxane Gay, author of Bad Feminist, Hunger, Idea, and Untamed State, and Black Panther, World of Wakanda, among many other books. In collaboration with the Santa Barbara Public Library, her new book, Hunger, is the February pick for the Santa Barbara Independence Book Club. Here to talk more about the memoir is Librarian Services Manager, Molly Weta. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. So, Molly, tell me a bit about why you decided to choose Roxanne Gay's book for this month's Indie Book Club. Sure. When I got together with Emily and Caitlin to pick the book for our book club this year, we always look around at what's happening in the community. What are people going to be talking about? And when we saw the lineup for arts and lectures, knew that we wanted to discuss one of Roxanne Gay's books. She's one of my favorite writers. I've been following her since her early Tumblr days. and chose this book, Hunger, A Memoir of My Body, because it's maybe less discussed than Bad Feminist, which is full of fun pop culture essays and is a, is a great read too. But Hunger specifically deals with issues that aren't talked about a lot, but that affect a lot of people. And it kind of provides a framework to say that you're not alone if you've experienced sexual violence, or you're not alone if you have body image issues. And how those intersect and relate for a Black queer woman is a really interesting conversation and an important conversation to have. So in reading her memoir, Hunger, what verbiage or passages stuck out to you the most as she detailed her reckoning with trauma? I really think that one of the themes that, you know, a lot of people will relate to is how much she says, like, I'm a mess and I'm still a mess. That I you know, had this horrific experience happen to me at a young age and it has shaped my entire life. Like there was a before and an after. And even though she has become a very successful writer and has got to explore her interests and has, you know, deep, meaningful relationships in her life, this still defines her in a lot of ways. And a lot of people, especially when they're really successful, don't want to talk about their trauma, don't want to acknowledge the challenges that they faced and how the ways in which they've coped with trauma have maybe even made their lives more difficult. Like how you survive is continual. And, you know, that she acknowledges that this is a, an everyday struggle in a lot of ways that that defines her life. And like you just mentioned, she talks about survival in a world that is particularly inhospitable to women and to Black women specifically. How did this novel help you change or realize your understanding of the Black experience and the Black feminist experience in America? I think that in a lot of ways, my privilege, like as a woman, um, as somebody who is a, is a larger person, as somebody who does have opinions and has gotten, you know, pushed back, we owe such a, those forerunners um, and really and giving us that space to push through for more feminist ideals. And in that way, to start these difficult conversations of like, you know, the fat acceptance movement or to to push for those types of change that we all owe such a debt to Black women and especially Black queer women for charting a course and helping to bring these issues to the forefront, which makes the world a more accepting place for everyone. We still got a lot of work to do, but we're building on the foundations and my last question for you here is, what do you think the impact this book will have on people who maybe have not endeavored into Black literature or even feminist literature? 
Yeah, I think what's so great about Roxanne Gay is that she writes in a very accessible way and like clear language, like you're just talking to a friend. It's very real in a way that a lot of people can relate to. So if you haven't sat with these ideas, it makes them accessible to you. Very relatable. And so I think that that's why she's such a great starting point and that she is unabashedly who she is. So you don't have to be ashamed of who you are to engage with this. That she herself has admitted that she's a, a bad feminist in some ways. Like she cares as much about great literature as she does about watching like what some may call like trashy reality TV show if you if you follow her on Twitter. So she's equally engaged in culture, like both highbrow and lowbrow and all of it. And that that's really welcoming to a lot of people who maybe aren't as familiar with these ideas. Of course. And projecting that image of what women like doesn't make it frou-frou or doesn't make it less valuable, like the reality TV example that you just mentioned. Is there anything else poignant about the book that you would like to add just for people to look for maybe? I just think that even if you're a person who hasn't experienced sexual violence, that most people have had somebody tell them that they need to think about that. What would you do in a certain situation? How would you behave? And so you can relate to that. And that even people who are very slim or athletic or should be very confident in their bodies, like experience some sort of shame about the way that they look in certain ways. And that this is an invitation to know that you can feel that way, but still be a real human being. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Molly Weta, again, for speaking to me about... Your review of Hunger by Roxane Gay. I'm really looking forward to hearing her speak this month as a part of the a lecture series. But once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed having you. Thank you. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany, host of the Indie. Tune in next week for another episode.